If you would, grab a copy of Scripture and open to Hebrews chapter 13. You'll find our Scripture for today on page 1385 on the Pew Bible in front of you. The last chapter of Hebrews, so if you get to the book of James, you went too far. Hebrews chapter 13. As we will have our final Sunday morning together in 2010. And what a year it has been. Amen. All I can say is, I'm going on vacation today, folks. I want you to know that. I need it. I love you, but I'm out of here. Amen. I think it's important. I've made it a habit in my life that every time a new year rolls around, I ask myself some questions. I spend some time thinking about the year that's gone by and and really searching my heart and asking the Lord to reveal to me, God, what what things have have been accomplished in my life this year that I need to take hold of, that I need to continue and pursue and press forward? And what are the things that have occurred in my life that have not been pleasing to you? What is the work that you desire to accomplish in me in this coming year? I think it's very important for us as believers to once a year take inventory and to just look at our lives. And I I will, just before we get started this morning, just want to give you a little bit of uh, encouragement if if I can. First of all, I would say if there's anything that you are going to accomplish in 2011. Can I tell you what needs to be at the very top of that list? If there's just one thing you're going to do, then here's what I would tell you to do. Read your Bible every day. Read it, start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. In almost every Bible in your hand in the back, there's a Bible reading plan. Set a a place up in your life, figure out a way to make it work. If you miss a day, you catch up, don't get discouraged, don't fall apart. But find a way to spend your year reading the entire Word of God. It will truly just revolutionize your life. If you've never done that, you can't imagine what that will do for you. If you have done that, if you're like me, I do it over and over and it just continually rewards me beyond. I I can't tell you how many times that has paid such unbelievable dividends in my life. So if you do one thing and one thing alone, that's what I would encourage you to do this year. But for us as a church, For us as a people, you know, the American church is not faring very well. I I don't know if you realize this or not. You know, this is an amazing church and God has done some amazing things this year and is continuing to do some amazing things. And I think it's it's by his providence, it's by his sovereign design that on this Sunday morning, the last Sunday morning we're together in 2010, that we're going to commission our uh, largest mission team ever to go to Moldova, and it's just so exciting to to see the things that God is doing in and through us. But really, here's the question. When you listen to, to, for example, the song that Dave just sang, 
And you, you recount the events of the, of the life of Christ and the crucifixion of the Son of God on the cross and all the suffering and what it accomplished for you and for me. Where does that leave you? In other words, yes, the Son of God lived a perfect life and died to forgive our sin. But what now? In other words, there's a, there's a mission that the church needs to be on. There's a purpose for every life in this room. And I believe that we need to examine and ask ourselves, God, what is it that we need to be doing? And are we doing it? And Lord, please don't let us get complacent. Don't let us be satisfied. As many amazing things as God has done this year, I want more. I want to be a part of a people who long for more, that are continually hungering and thirsting for what the Lord can do in and through us. Listen, I don't know how many days we have left on this earth. It would be great if this is the last sentence that ever leaves my mouth. Boom, and I'm in the presence of the Lord. But if not... Let's make the most of these days that God has given us. The absolute most. And I think in Hebrews 13, what we'll see this morning is that God will give some great direction as we begin to think about this coming year and what the Lord has for us. In the book of Hebrews, what we find is is many scholars believe this is one long sermon, which really encourages me because I thought I was long-winded. But look here. Maybe maybe next Sunday morning I'll preach the whole book of Hebrews. How about that? There'll really be a revolt. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm working on it, kind of. But anyway, uh, it, it as we get to this last chapter in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews begins to bring together all the things that he said through this whole wonderful book and, and begins to get very practical and very direct with us. And I think as we uh, look here this morning, my prayer has been all week that God would reveal to us, each and every one of us personally and corporately, what it is He has for us. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of our lives? What what things, as we look forward to the next year, what things are going to determine how we spend our time, how we invest our money, how we raise our kids? You know, life is hard. How will we overcome the, the, the temptation to just slack off or to just let go or to do less or to give less or to serve less? Listen, we've got to be, we've got to understand what God would have us to do And we've got to make sure that our priorities are correct or we'll fail. We will fail if we're not about the Lord's work in His power, in His strength. Listen, it it matters to God in 2011 what what your activities are going to be. He, He cares about that. He cares about your priorities and your hopes and your dreams. He cares. And so let's ask Him to show us in Hebrews 13... Some things that we can take away as we look forward to this coming year. Hebrews 13, I want to begin in verse 12. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to Him outside the camp, bearing His reproach. 
For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of the praise of God, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that this amazing passage of Scripture would take over and consume our hearts and our minds. Lord, help me. Give me the grace to speak it in truth, Lord. Direct my lips to speak exactly what you would have me to speak to your people this morning. God, that we might take this word, understand it, apply it, and live it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe there's five distinct characteristics here of people who look like Jesus, live like Jesus. Five goals that we can take away this morning and begin to process in our lives and in our hearts as we look forward to the coming year. The first one is this. In verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered outside the gate... The first principle we see is we need to get outside of our religious comfort zone in 2011. We need to get away from the humdrum, everyday, sort of boring ritual of our religious comfort zone. You see, we take things for granted. For example... Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. That is an astonishing statement from a Jewish man. In other words, we take for granted on this side of the cross as New Testament believers, we read that and we realize and, and say, well, well, we see this commission that God's given us. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we we all live it and do it, but we we look at that and we say, yes, we know that to be true. But that's an amazing statement from a man who came up in a, in a religious culture where you didn't go outside of your religious comfort zone. The Jewish uh, system was very closed. It was very much you and your people and your uh, beliefs and your structure and everyone else was on the outside. But you see, God had been preparing from the beginning of time throughout Scripture that it would not remain this way. And we need to take note of this. For example, in the prophetic book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, where we will uh, find all sorts of amazing prophecies about what is to come. Daniel 7, beginning in verse 13. Look at what the Bible says. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. So we see this prophecy here. We see the Son of Man, Christ. We see God represented as the Ancient of Days. And they brought Him near before Him. And look at verse 14. The Bible says, Then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom 
that all peoples, nations, languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. In other words, you see this coming time where this one, like the Son of Man, will receive this kingdom that will be made up of all peoples, nations, languages. That this isn't some closed structure, but this is an all-encompassing kingdom. This takes in all peoples of all nations and all languages and all people groups. This is a new concept that we need to remember that as we think about ourselves today, we don't need to fall into the trap of just closing in around in our little comfort zone and where we feel comfortable with the people that we know doing the same old things. We see again, you, you see, when you look at prophecy, eschatology, just a fancy way of saying things that are yet to come, the end times, the last things, When you look at Daniel and you look at the book of Revelation and you watch how they just go side by side. They just Old Testament, New Testament, they just go along. Revelation chapter 7. Watch how this goes along with Daniel chapter 7. Revelation 7 verse 9. After these things I looked and behold, this is John's vision of heaven. A great multitude which no one could number in all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne of the Lamb. You see again, this is what the kingdom looks like. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. The Lamb. You see... We have a tendency, God understands that we have a tendency to sort of close in and to believe, okay, I'm a Christian and and I'm comfortable in this Christian community. And so within here, I'm sort of safe and I can, I'm secure and I can, I can fit in and I know my role and that's fine. And that's good, but that's not all. There's more. In other words, we have got to resist The status quo. Jesus never walked in the status quo. Jesus was always about the business of the Father. I believe that what is strangling the church in America of our time is complacency. It is comfort. It is what's always been, and it is destroying us from the inside out. Now, you are doing a great job. I'm not down on you. But what I want you to see is that we can do better. There's more. I don't want us to fall into the trap of literally over half of Southern Baptist churches have dried up unused baptistries. I can't imagine what that would be like. And let me tell you something. I'm not going to imagine what that would be like. But I'm just telling you, it's, it's, a, it's a sad reality out there. And we don't need to sit in here and think, well, boy, we're doing so much better than them, so we can just keep coasting where we are. No. We've got to press on for more. So the first thing we need to do is get outside of our religious comfort zone. Number two, we need to go no matter the cost. We need to be about going no matter the cost. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, it was there outside the camp. 
It was there outside of the, the city, the religious structure. There was no headquarters. There was no buildings, no territories, no denominations. It was there outside of the camp that Jesus hung on a cross. Now, that's important to understand that Jesus stayed outside of the camp. He worked and ministered outside of the camp. He was crucified outside of the camp. We need to go forth to him outside the camp. And for some of you this morning, new news bearing his reproach. In other words, it's not going to come easy. You're not going to live for Christ and find success in the eyes of the world outside. It's not going to happen. The, the hearers of, of, of Hebrews 13, they would clearly understand that Jesus was never going to be found in, in some comfortable, established system of Judaism. They just, they understood that. But sometimes I wonder if we've sort of lost that today. You see, the call here is to penetrate the darkness with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will always result in persecution and hardship. It will always result. 2 Timothy 3.12 All those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Period. Now, Here's the question. How is it that somehow the fact that we will suffer persecution causes us to back away from living a godly life? In other words, how backwards is it that so many times in this level of, of, of comfort and this level of abundance... Many times professing believers will retreat from godliness because of the threat of persecution. Now, when you, when you look at what the Bible says, the Bible talks about persecution in light of living a godly life as just, just sort of matter, just to let you know, like as if you forgot that this is what's going to happen. But certainly it wouldn't, detract you or deter you from living for godliness, would it? I mean, are we willing as a people to go no matter the cost? I think many of you are. I think many of you in the past year have proven that. I think many of you are in the process right now of doing things in your life, living for the Lord, facing persecution. And I applaud that. I encourage that. I'm excited about that. You encourage me. But we have got to remember... The call is to go. It's just to go. No matter what the cost. Does that make you uncomfortable? Because it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Now, maybe this morning just in your heart, not out loud, but in your heart you might say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to endure hardship. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. I don't either. I don't either. I'm not some super spiritual person who just wants hardship. But let me tell you what. I don't want even more than hardship. I don't want to not go. You see, I don't want hardship 
But that pales in comparison to how much I do not want, will not fail to do what God has called me to do. I mean, I have to do that. That's like breathing. Because if, if I don't go, I may not have hardship, but there's no life in that. I mean, all, all you have to do is just spend a little time in Scripture. Just begin to, to meditate on all the Scriptures about what's to come. And, and just think about, you know, standing before your Lord and Savior and think about all the hardship that you avoided. No, I'm not willing to do that. And so I'm willing to go wherever God calls me. And that means go into my community, go into my neighborhoods, go into to places here, go into places in other countries, go wherever, but go, go. And, and, and really to use hardship as a gauge to how well I'm going. You see, because if, if you're here this morning and you're just saying, well, you know, I really don't have any hardship in my life. Well, then according to 2 Timothy 3.12, you got a going problem. Okay? You need to be about what God's called you to do. Because, see, the, the third thing we need to see this morning is that we're to, to live for our eternal home, not this one. And this will encourage you in being about moving forward and, and, and going out where outside the camp, bearing His reproach. The third thing, live for our eternal home, not this one. Verse 14, For here we have no continuing city. Here on this earth, there's no lasting city for us, but we seek the one to come. You see, so many times we are afraid to draw attention to the distinctiveness of the Christian message. You see, here's what I mean. There's, you can be a Christian and you can live in the United States. You can live in, especially in, in Gulfport, Mississippi. I mean, you can live here as a Christian and you can really take your Christian beliefs and you can, you can live them in such a way to where they really don't stand out to the people around you. You can water them down to the degree to which you just sort of look like a normal person like everyone else. But you see, the problem with that is, is that Christianity is a very distinctive way of life. It is, a, it is a very obvious message that we live and teach and proclaim. And so... When we live for our eternal home, it is going to reflect in our lives in such a way that people around us will take note of that. Let me ask you it this way. Have you embraced the church as a place of safety and forgotten it as a place of sending? Have we... Just embrace this place as a place to make us feel safe and comfortable and known. But forgotten the mandate that we send. We don't want to lose sight 
of those two dynamics. I'm, we're glad that it's a safe place. We're glad that it's a comfortable place. We're glad that we're known here. We, we, are, we thank God for the family that we have here. But at the same time, it is a sending place as well. And we need to always be about praying that the Lord would continually raise up people from within this body and send them out to do ministry in other places. Listen, that's one of the most encouraging things that, that, that ever occurs here is when God does that. Amen? And, and you think about all the people over the, the, the last several decades that have come up out of this body and gone out to do ministry. All the young people right now that are in seminary and Bible college and pursuing full-time careers in, in, in serving the Lord and how God has just used over and over. We want to pray that God would continue to do that. This verse calls reticent believers to heroism, to a heroic life through the courage of the gospel promise. In other words, as we think about being a place of sending and the possibility that God may be calling some of us here this morning to be sent to go and, and to minister in, in other churches in this area to start works, parachurch organizations, to go into mission fields, maybe even in dangerous places. Yes, all sorts of various sending opportunities to be a part of what God's doing. We need to think about how this is to occur. How do you think about some scary possibility in your life? Well, I think you think about the promise of the gospel. So let me just help you this morning. Let's think through this a little bit together. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, first of all, it doesn't say our citizenship might be in heaven or could be in heaven or will be in heaven. It says it, it is in heaven. In other words, this is a present tense reality. Our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, we, according to his promise, look forward for a new heaven and a new earth, which will be filled with righteousness forever and ever. Second Peter three thirteen. So our Citizenship is, therefore we look forward to a promise, always remembering that this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us for more exceeding and eternal weight and glory, 2 Corinthians 4.17. So in other words, the gospel continues to just push us forward and push us forward. So we have nothing to be afraid of because Psalm 34.4 says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So we can seek God, we can hear from God, He would deliver us from our fears and behold, According to Isaiah 12, God is our salvation. We can trust in Him and not be afraid. In other words, the message of the gospel should encourage us to be able to go forward and say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, whatever you want to do in me, Lord, I'm not afraid of this. I'm willing to accept this. If this is your will for me, God, I will receive it. I want it. I will take it. You know, this week, as I, as I wrestled through this passage of Scripture over and over, God kept bringing me back to that, that point in my life where it just seemed as if God were calling me to the, the craziest things. I mean, really, I'm thinking, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do, but you got to be kidding me. I mean, I'm terrified to stand up in front of people. I'm a shy person. I don't, this, this is crazy. I didn't even get saved until I was grown. I mean, 
Surely there's someone who grew up in church that you can call to do this, right, Lord? I mean, I tried everything to just, but he just kept wooing me and he kept calling me. And I can every, I'd take a little step and a little step. And, and he just, as he pulled me in, he would just encourage me. I find myself just looking to the scripture for encouragement. God, show me, help me. And over and over, it was the gospel message that just kept reminding me, Tony, in your mind, this may seem crazy, but in light of the gospel, this is nothing. We need to be about allowing God's Word to set our frame of mind to what can and cannot be, and not our own. You see, the author of Hebrews has already, has already assured us back in, in chapter 12 of this very point. In, in chapter 12, verse 28, he says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, that's important. We already are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. In other words, in light of that truth, what would we be afraid of? But yet, that fear, it wants to creep up and well up within us. So that brings us to the fourth thing that we need to make a part of our life in this coming year. And that is, we need to praise God publicly. We need to praise Him publicly. We need to praise God in the public arena. Look at verse 15. Therefore, by Him let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. You see, this is more than just singing. This, this sacrifice of praise. Think about what this Scripture is calling us to. Think about the fact that a sacrifice must be sacrificial to be a sacrifice. Is that overly simplified? In other words, it's a sacrifice of praise. That means it costs something, right? In other words, I don't think this is merely, you know, us together just singing together. Because I'm not sure that really costs us anything. It might have cost us a little bit of sleep to get out of bed this morning. We might have got kind of chilly on the way out. It was cold out there. It cost us putting on an extra coat or something. Maybe getting the kids ready and all that. But is that really a sacrifice? See, you see, this is a sacrifice of praise. This isn't just praise. That, there's a difference. Connecting our daily lives with the reality of our belonging to Christ by practicing the things that we claim to believe and publicly praising our Lord and Savior. That is a sacrifice of praise. Psalm 50 verse 22 says this. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. You see, we will oftentimes come up in our own mind with various ways that we will glorify God. And if you'll notice that a lot of times believers decide that, well, I just want to live for the glory of God. Well, that's good. But how do you glorify God? And it's always things that tend not to be sacrificial. Because those are the things we, we want to think of. But more, let's let God define what glorifies Him. Moreover, we'll offer praise which glorifies me, the Bible says, and to Him who orders His conduct aright. 
In other words, we see this glorifying, this praising, and then this living, and I will show the salvation of God. Hmm. In other words, God sometimes has a different idea of how we bring Him glory than we do. Sometimes we think, well, you know, if we just sort of go through the motions, we're bringing God glory. Well, that depends on what the motions are. Are the motions living out what we claim to believe in such a way that we take the praise and worship of our Lord and Savior out into the public arena in such a way that it is a sacrifice of praise? You know, Romans 12 calls us to, I beseech you therefore, brethren, to to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable before God, that we are to live our lives as a sacrifice. I don't know. I've never spoken to an animal that was given as a sacrifice, but if I could, I'm sure they would convey to me in some sort of animal communication way that it was painful. And it wasn't fun. They wouldn't look back and say, Bob, you know, the greatest day of my life was that day that, you know, I was slain on the altar. No. But the Bible says that we are to praise God publicly. We're to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. You see, not to cower down. Not to sort of inwardly retreat into just... You know, well, well, I mean, let's face it. For some here this morning, maybe just praising God in song is a step for you. And maybe you sing like me and you would say, it's kind of a sacrifice too. To the people around me especially. Amen. That's why I sit on the front row. I can just let let it go. Even the choir leans back sometimes, but it's all right. But in all seriousness, our lives need to be a sacrificial offering. And so as we look forward to this next year and we think, God, how do we get outside of our religious comfort zone? I mean, how do we how do we become people committed to go no matter what the cost is? How do we live for an eternal home, not get tangled up in this one, not cling to this life and the things of this life and realize this life is not what it's all about. And Lord, we want to praise you publicly. Publicly in this coming year. Number five, and lastly, we want to live out the gospel. We want to live it out. Verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. You know, it's, it's impossible to separate the praise of God and the service to men. It's impossible. You simply cannot make a case in Scripture that that there is a way to separate these two. That somehow you could be praising God and not serving men. Not loving the people around you. There's no way to do that. Paul commending the Corinthian church for raising money for for the desperate need of the church in Jerusalem makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 9.10. He says, while through the proof of this ministry, this raising of money for the church in Jerusalem, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ 
and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. You, you see how glorifying God, the confession of the gospel, and liberal sharing are all contained in one. They're not three separate things. They all work together. Two weeks ago, we talked about that one passage of Scripture that Jesus spoke to the church out of Luke 12. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Remember that? Well, if you just keep reading, you see, we got so much encouragement from that passage of Scripture. And I wondered as I was preaching that morning, I wondered how many people in the service read on. And continue to read. And notice that the following verses said, Sell what you have and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. You see, this wonderful promise that gives us such encouragement about the way the Lord will protect and care for and love the church and loves to give and share is followed by the command to just give away what you have. Don't worry about it. Live out the gospel. Serve the people that God has given you to minister to. Understand that you are in no place by accident. That the people that you work around and live around and that come in and out of your life are there for a reason and a purpose. We have a responsibility before the Lord. So what is this, this responsibility? What is this religious activity that we're to be about? Well, in James chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. You see, all of us, all of us that are here this morning and all of those who are gone traveling and visiting families, every single one of us is about to go on a journey, a long journey. We're all going to Moldova, whether you realize that or not, every single one of us is going. Now, we're sending a delegation, but we're all going and we're all participating and we're all part of this and as they go and they minister in a country think about christmas eve i I told the 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 statistic that over 20 percent of the population in moldova exists on two dollars and 15 cents or less a day a day their their idea of poverty is what national or, or global statistics term extreme poverty. You see, poverty in the United States is wealth everywhere else around the world. This is extreme poverty that they're entering into. These orphans that they will be loving on and these people that they will be serving and ministering to, we minister to, we go with them, we participate in this activity together as a family. That's what true and undefiled religion is you know, oftentimes we'll, we'll use it like the Great Commission, where we started this morning. And, and preachers or communicators will, will use that passage of Scripture uh, and they'll, they'll use it to encourage people. And they'll say, you know, you, you, you need to go, you need to overcome your fear. And you need to realize that Jesus called us to go. And that's true. And I want to encourage you to overcome your fear. But but I have to be honest with you. What strikes me about 
the Great Commission is the statement, all authority has been given to me. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, should we use this passage to overcome our fears? Or should we look at this passage and just be utterly astonished that we're not filled with uncontrollable excitement about going? What would happen if we actually as a body, together corporately, truly believed that all authority on heaven and in earth has been given unto Christ who then commands us to go. If we really got that, wouldn't we just be overwhelmed with excitement about going and doing? I mean, wouldn't that just eradicate all fears and all trepidation about what might happen or what might be or what about this or what about that? The problem is we don't get the all authority part. The problem is we see the command to go. We see the instruction to go. But what we fail to realize is that the power has already been given. All of it. We don't have anything to fear. We don't have anything to, to be worried about. It's been given. And I know that in our minds we can conjure up all these reasons why we shouldn't go or why we can't go. And I don't mean get on a plane and go halfway around the world, although I do mean that in part. But I mean go out in your neighborhoods. I mean start ministries in this community. I mean be a part of something bigger than you. Do something with your life that does not benefit you or anyone you love directly in any form or fashion. Simply give yourself as a sacrifice of praise unto God in the year to come. That's what I'm talking about. That sort of all authority has been given unto us. We are, we're, we're going to talk a lot about this process of disciple making. What is a disciple? How do you make a disciple? But just thinking about the Great Commission, for example. There's no biblical precedent for a disciple that does not produce other disciples. Which makes a very hard question that has to be answered. You don't need to ask yourself, am I a disciple? All you need to ask yourself is, am I making other disciples? Because if you're not, you've already answered the first question. See, disciples make disciples. That's what they do. If you don't make disciples, you're not a disciple. Goodness. We need to get busy. We need to be, we, we need to be frustrated with what could be and should be in our lives. So here's what we're going to do. In a minute, we're going to have an invitation. What I'd like to do is I'd like to call all the, the members of the team that's going to Moldova. I'd like to call them forward. I'd like you to come up. Uh, to the altar during the invitation. I'd like you to, to kneel and pray and I'd like to invite the congregation to come and kneel and pray alongside them. Just come, kneel, pray for them. Pray for them where they are. We want to pray for them. We want them to know that we support them, that we are committed to them. We, we want you to understand that when you go, you're going to be sitting in airports. And, and, and this I know for sure. People are going to come up to you in airports and they're going to ask you this very important question. 
What are all of you doing? Where are you going? And when you say, well, we're, we're going to Moldova, the next thing they're going to say is, why? And in that moment, before you answer, I want you to know that we're praying for you. That God's going to give you the words to share why you're going to Moldova. You're going to have opportunities to share the gospel in airports. Wherever you go, people are going to be looking at you and wondering what's going on with this group of people. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get tired. There's going to be things that happen that you weren't prepared for. There's always those instances where you thought you were going to wake up and these things. And there's just going to be time schedules that are going to get mixed up. Things aren't going to work out. Ideas you have in your head aren't going to come to pass. And you're going to get frustrated. And in that moment, when you get frustrated or you get a little bit out of your comfort zone, I want you to just stop and remember, we're praying for you. That we're there with you. We're praying that you remember that as you go, you take us with you. And we're praying that the banner of Jesus Christ would wave over your lives in such a way that you just bring Him glory, that people ask you questions and talk to you, and that you just share, 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 that the gospel just pours out of that team, that you go into that orphanage, you realize every one of those children that lives in there day after day, that probably looks out the window and doesn't see any hope, doesn't know anything, but you're coming in and you've got the solution. You see, because what you bring, you you don't, it's great to have parents. It's great to have a home. But let me tell you something. What's great is to have Christ. And you're bringing Christ right into that orphanage. Everyone you touch, everyone you minister to, the solution to all their problems. It doesn't matter what what poverty you face or what health problems you face. Jesus Christ is coming to Moldova and we're praying for you. Wave that banner loud and clear. Make the gospel known in that place. Bring glory to Him. What a blessing. I'm so excited about going to Moldova. I've been saying that. People are like, I didn't know you were going. I'm going. Not physically, but I'm going. And let me tell you, I'm just looking forward to getting up every day and just rolling out of bed and hitting my knees and just saying, God, bless them. Use them. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Give them wisdom. Give them the words to say, Lord, let the gospel go forth. Let the banner wave. That's what we need to focus on in this coming year. We need to be dissatisfied with where we are, not because we're in a bad place, but because we want more. We want more. Would you join me in that? Just join me in saying, Lord, we want more. Show us what it is you'd have us to do. Lord, Get us out of our comfort zone. Call us to do things. Let us overcome our fear. Let us be captivated by the excitement that you've already given us all the power and authority we need. I just look around the room and I just think, what could you do, Lord? Look at the potential. Look at all the lives represented here that, that, that stand as a testimony of what can happen in just an, an average, ordinary family who loves Jesus Christ. What a blessing. What an encouragement. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Now let's live it. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, as we look back across 2010, Lord,
God, we thank you for the, the mighty works that you've done in this.